I drive down the roads every day. I am mindful and observant of what, I, what I'm looking for. It gives me great thrills to find something on the side of the road and say to somebody, hey, what are you going to do with that? And they said, oh, I was just pushing it out there, hoping the garbage man would get rid of it. And I said, well, do you mind if I take it? What's been unique and different about the bowls and the bowl turning process is getting to work with really unique pieces of wood. I like to see things that are what you would think of as malformed or, or, or a problem. You can see right there, that's burl. This is normal tree. Either way, the grain's going crazy. That's the cool stuff. But we may see some bugs and stuff come flying out of that. But that's okay. Bugs are part of the deal. Wood is not plastic. It's, a, it's an imperfect material. So you don't know what you're going to get into until you open it up. That process is something that is never the same. Every time you do it, something different can happen. What I'm trying to do is bring out of the damaged or uh, ugly things, something of beauty. And I, I look at that and I see a creator. I see God and, and his design in, in this imperfection. And if we're able to bring that out, that second life, uh, that rebirth, is beautiful. It's a piece of art. Find more stories like this at moments.org. Doing this series on uh, culture. I believe I'm on, I hope. Yeah. Um, on culture and the collision between culture and truth and righteousness. And the last few weeks we've been doing a thing on sexuality, and especially last week we really got down into the distortions of sexuality. And, and uh, as this world affects, the thing that happens is you get distortions, you get destruction. And the thing God does is to bring beauty out of the destruction. For us to overcome this collision and make a difference in it is we've got to understand the beautification process of God. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about a, a young man. I was, I'm not going to tell what country I was at. I was doing a conference in another country and there was a young man that came to the conference who was in an orphanage, who had come out of an orphanage and he had, was struggling very bad with homosexuality and uh, and what had happened is in the orphanage that he had, I mean, he was just abandoned by his parents, so he doesn't know who his parents were, and he was left in an orphanage, just starving for hunger and relationship. And this young man, um, you know, just started being sort of a, a more um, artsy kind of guy, just sort of gave himself over into getting attention in these relationships in the area of sexuality. And you know how I can imagine how it would be in, a, in an orphanage overseas and uh, just led him into a bond, a life of bondage. And then when he came into this conference, and uh, God started ministering to his heart. In fact, one point in time, I, I called him up front, and I put my arm around him, and I spoke into him and prayed into him as a heart of a father. When I prayed that prayer, the power of God hits him, and he 
you know, falls on the floor and he literally starts to manifest this demonic spirit of homosexuality. And, and at that point in time, speaking into him, uh, just the heart of God the Father, he gets set free. He weeps, he cries. I call up the pastors of some of the other, the pastors from his country to just pray into him. And it was just a beautiful thing. And I see him on Facebook and communicate with him on Facebook and, and to see what God's done in his heart to take something wounded and broken and God turn around and make something beautiful. And that's really one of the things that we've got to understand about here and is talking about this. And God put this heart, this past scripture on my heart in Psalm 149.4. Let's go to the Amy there, if you would. Is that Amy back there? Yep. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. Just let that sink in, first phrase. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. I mean, I can just stay right there. The second phrase. For the Lord beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. Um, I remember one time a, a young lady who was in our ministry and uh, had gone through a horrific lifestyle and and uh, just very, very, uh, that's how I want to say, I'm going to excuse me for using this term, like plain looking. And, uh, and, but God started doing a work in this girl's life. The presence of God coming, ministering into her life in such a way, healing her, forgiving her, and, and doing all kind of cool things. And, and she used to come over to and see Paul and I quite often and and one day she comes after after into this process. She comes over and I I see her and I'm going, there's just something about her. What's different, you know? And I started going down the checklist. Uh, she get new glasses? No. Uh, do her hair different? No. Teeth different? No. And then it hit me. This passage of scripture: the Lord beautifies the afflicted one. Because what was happening was the beauty of the Lord was just being manifested over this over this young lady and. And was changing her. And that's the process that God does is he takes so much of the, to the defilements of this world uh, and causes things, beauty out of it. I know out of Dunklin, Greg can bear, bear witness on there's a, I don't know if they still have it on the wall of the cafeteria or whatever you call it, the chow hall. They have this big plaque up, not plaque, but plaques or whatever, and pictures of men, and right in the middle of it, it says, jewels from the devil's junk pile. And it's all these pictures of men who God has still, probably your picture's up there, probably. <laughs> you know, so, and, uh, you know, it's just so true that God, the, the thing that's the cool thing in busting down this collision is the beautiful thing, beautification of the Lord, doing in our lives, and, and, uh, so beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. Well, I just wanted to run this real quick and, and go to the next passage because to think about this, y'all, the passage of Scripture, foundation for this to come about is this passage of Scripture. For we know that God causes all things to work out for good. He doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work out for good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. That's the foundation. I can't, I can't mention Psalm 149.4 without mentioning this passage of Scripture. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. But, but let's go on. When we talk about beautifying the afflicted ones with salvation, so what's some of the salvation that the Lord would mention of? You know, and interesting, all these come out of the Greek word sozo, 
there's another Greek word for soteria, which would be the noun, but this is the verbal forms. And I just ran some verbal forms of what, when we talk about the salvation of God, we're talking about, well, from the condition of sin, like I just mentioned to you a few minutes ago, the young man being set free out of homosexuality. That's saved. That's the salvation of God. How about from death to eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and it goes on in verse 17, God did not come into the, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world may be saved. So the, from death into eternal life, that's salvation. Now how about debt of our forgiveness of sins where Jesus, it says that Gabriel says, you know, you'll name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. From the debt of our sins, Jesus has come and that's salvation. But how about healing? It's interesting as I was going through this in, in Matthew 9, 22, where the woman who is uh, healed of the issue of blood and where it says, it gets translated in English, where it says, uh, your faith has made you whole. Well, it's literally your faith has saved you. And it's not, I think it's about five or six times that there's the reference to healing and salvation. And it goes on, and, and I know Tom has really been, been a, a, on that. I think he's supposed to preach in a few weeks, and y'all better watch it. You'll catch it. It'll be good. I wish I was going to be here for that one. How about deliverance from danger? When Peter walked, uh, was walking on the water and he starts to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And, uh, you know, that's that salvation bit, that's used a lot in the Old Testament, in particular, delivering us out of danger. Well, how about the interesting was when you, people are set free from demonic spirits. You know, where the Gerizim demoniac, when it says he was healed and set free in, in his right mind, it was literally the Greek word here for salvation, saved. So when we talk about the salvation of God, he beautifies the afflicted ones of salvation. I could go on and on and on. But that's God's process. He's come to set us free and make us beautiful. I like that. He just don't bring us out of it. His end goal is to make it beautiful. I mean, that's just, they don't take crap and redeem crap. He makes crap beautiful. And I don't know how he does that. And I'm sorry about the adjective word or whatever it is. Now I'm using it. But that's not how to describe it because that's where this world is. It is. And so what God started showing me is, is, though, is that he, in relationship to us, he beautifies things, he beautifies events, and he beautifies people. Now let's go on. I just want to show you some of the, the things that are in our lives. And you've heard me preach about this before. But how you'll take things that have attached sin and death and pain and sorrow and redeems those things and make them beautiful. Like the one of the most prominent to me was Peter. You know, when y'all know in, in, in John 18, 18, when he stand, after Jesus had told him, he says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. But he's standing beside a, notice this, now the slaves and officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire. And there, for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was with them standing and warming himself. And you know the rest of the story but how three times over this charcoal fire, Peter denies Jesus. Now, I guarantee you this, after this event had occurred, every time Peter would have smelled a charcoal fire, he would have thought of this event. Because smell 
as emotions are one of the greatest imprinters of information. I know for me, I, there's a place in my heart right now that has not been totally redeemed. I don't like the smell of cut flowers. I just don't like it. Because you know what it reminds me of? Funerals. And, and that's one of those things for me right now. I'm, I was just, as I was praying about this thing, okay, God, we need to redeem that one. That needs to get beautiful. Cut flowers can be beautiful. But I like live flowers better. That's why my wife will never let me, she don't let me buy her flowers like, that are cut. Give me something live. You know, it's interesting. I don't know, maybe that's it. But I don't know. Anyway, but, but in the smell, but notice, y'all know that the flip side of the story, story in, in John chapter 21 with Jesus, when all of a sudden Peter's, they're on the shore, I mean, they're on, in the boat fishing, and, and there they, they can't catch anything. He tells them to cast the net on the other side of the boat, and there he casts it, you know, and they start pulling the net in, and it's, it's full of fish, and all of a sudden the other disciples look and go, oh, that's Jesus. And so the other disciples, they go, they start going, and Peter jumps in the water, and he's worried about the fish, you know. He, I used to think he was swimming to Jesus, but no, he jumps in the water, and he's dealing with the net, carrying up the fish. The other disciples go on shore. They come up to Jesus, and when they get there, and when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish sitting on it. Why did Jesus do that? And over this charcoal fire, there, Peter, he gets, Peter comes up out of the show, you know, coming out of there, lugging up the fish, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he's pointing to the fish. You love me more than these? Oh, yeah, Jesus, you know I do. And then he goes on to say, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Where a charcoal fire was the smell of denial, Jesus came and took a charcoal fire and made it a thing of beauty and made it a point of commissioning. And like I see it showing the notes there, a charcoal fire that marked denial, what does that say there? Became a mark for purpose in Peter's life. I know for me, there's certain passages of Scripture that if I cannot turn, like in Revelation chapter 3, I cannot turn to them without it being reminded to me of, of, uh, of the call of God in my life or, or this ring which is stuck on my finger now. You know, when we do these weddings, you know, we, you know what we do? You know, I've been to a dwelling place wedding, but what I'll do is I'll take the ring and I'll hold it up and I'll say that this ring is going to be a reminder of the covenant that the couple has made before God up to this time. And that's what in, in the confessions they say is that I'll go, I'll say, uh, you know, you know, you know, Tom, you know, will say to Ingrid, you know, hey, Ingrid, you know, will you agree with me this day that this ring will be a reminder of the confessions we made before God up to this day? Why? Because there's this, there's this ring is not only beautiful in and of itself, but it's a point of redemption and beautification. I know for me, in points in time in my life, that when Paul and I's relationship was really bad, and I looked down at that wedding ring, and I remember the confessions that I had made that day. This ring was a reminder, a point of beauty of the day that when I said to Paula, barely could say the words. I remember seeing Paula come down the aisle, and I just started crying uncontrollably. And I knew that God had established that day. And the ring that I had on 
we have on is a reminder of the confessions that I had made before the Lord that day to Paula. And so what God will do is he'll take things that have points of defeat, ugliness to them, and his heart is for us to partner with him to allow those things to become points of redemption, points of beauty. Let's go on. How about he works in us in relationship to beautify events? And I couldn't think of one anymore that's so intense in our lives as in the event of death. And, and you know, you think about this, how God seeks to beautify it. I, you know, you all know that I went through the death of my brother and my mother, and in those things, it was there's very much hard things in it, you know, and then and I know the things that y'all have been through recently also, and we went through with Brandon Brinkley this at the first of last year. But God's heart is to beautify this. Death being the enemy of God. You know, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, God really puts major effort to put death under his feet. And literally where you'll see here in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, where always being of good courage, knowing that while we're at home at the body, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're of good courage, I say, to prefer to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And I, and I skipped off a very, very important passage of Scripture there in that, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And where he has given us, let me just read it. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. And then it goes into this. See, why? Why God can beautify this place of death. That literally what it is for me and my heart in relationship to seeing it, Bud and Charlotte or Brandon. I mean, not Bud, Charlotte, Bud and my mom and uh, Charlotte's Bud's wife, it's so easy to say Bud and Charlotte, but Bud and Mom and Brandon or, or Tammy Sinclair or the others that have gone on in this place, Josh, you know, the, really the big sticker for me is that I know without a shadow of a doubt to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. And I see Paul's declaration in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, go to the next slide Amy, where it says, for me to live and to Christ is, to live is Christ, to die is it's what? You know, I, you know, for years, whenever I'd, somebody I would say, well, I'm sorry you lost your mom. Uh, I'm sorry she's not lost. Uh, to be honest with you, I think she's found. Because to live is Christ. Die is what? Gain. If I'm to live on only in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I, I heard Josh's testimonies even bore witness up, up here so much. For Josh to live was very much fruitful labor. And though, and for, uh, you know, that's what Paul's declaration here. Uh, to live here, I just that's fruitful labor. But notice what he says. And I do not know what you choose, but I'm hard-pressed with both corrections, having the desire to part and be with Christ. Ah, uh, very much better. Very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You know, 
I mean, here's a place that where God beautifies that place that where I was, you know, standing there in that place of seeing, um, you know, and hearing the sound that, of what I'd call death trying to taunt us in this age, but knowing that as soon as Bud and Mom took breath and went into eternity, guess what? They've arrived. They arrived. So much better. But, you know, guess what? God does another thing about beautifying this thing that's so such a major thing for us in our lives. And I love this past scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with the voice of the, of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I mean, the Lord in the air to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore what? Comfort one another with these words. In other words, God says, I'll beautify death. Death's tried to reign in this age. Well, let me tell you something. I'll beautify it. One is to be absent of bodies, to be present with me now. I take care of. But I tell you what, you will be with me forever. You will be with me forever. I remember uh, Charlda, I was telling you, Bud's mom, I mean Bud's wife, <laughs> uh, when Bud, right after Bud died, he died of Alzheimer's. You know, I remember at 56, I may have shared this with y'all, but forgive me if I have, but, uh, you know, he died of Alzheimer's, so at 56. And, you know, and before he died, I mean, like before he died, he looked like he was 90 years old. I mean, he was really, he looked bad. And uh, um, and then uh, right after that, about a year after that, Charles' mom, who were Bud and mom, Bud and Charles had moved up in, in Charles' parents' house. They had a big house and they had an apartment out behind it in Indian Atlantic, Florida. And they were living there. When Bud died, and then uh, when after Bud died, Charles had just stayed there to help take care of her mom, who was living in that house. But right after that, about a year after that, Charles' mom was uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So back-to-back -back events in relationship to Alzheimer's, Charles is dealing with. So one night, she's she's in the shower, shower, and she's crying out, "God, I." I can't take this. This is so hard. And Charlie was so faithful to Bud through that through that period of time, uh, and then was in this place with dealing with her mom. And and all of a sudden, it was like heaven unveiled for Charlie. And she's in a shower, and their shower was a, a, a one of those glass showers. You know, it was like in a corner, and it was glass. And all of a sudden, it, it, she said, is, all of a sudden she looks up. She's crying, just crying out to the Lord. This is so painful, God. She looks up, and there is Bud standing. Now, I don't know how or what, but I know heaven unveiled. And she looked up, and there's Bud standing. Now, the problem was, the crazy thing about it was, is, you know, usually when you see somebody die, that's, the, that's how you'll picture them in the, many times is at that last point especially when there's a long process of like for Bud. Which, and, uh, but, you know, where Bud looked emaciated when he died, Charlotte said she looks up and all of a sudden she sees Bud and he's like he never, I mean like never, the most healthy point in his ever life. Eyes vibrant and alive and 
him healthy and strong. And he looked at me and he said, Charlie said, she, Charlie said, he looked at her and says, Charlie, pain can make you strong. Great pain can make you invincible. Be invincible. And he just disappeared. What was God doing? He said, Charlie, you can do this. God was trying to redeem that ugly disease called Alzheimer's and putting it in Charlie. She can be invincible. In it. Only God can do that. Where enemy can come in to steal, kill, and destroy, but God will come over. I'll stamp over it. Life will win it. So God works to beautify the afflicted ones. But but events and things are all really in relationship to people where God does mighty works to redeem and beautify people. But just go to the next slide. And one of my favorites, y'all, and I just really wanted to pick this apart in a certain way. Mary. Lazarus' sister. Which we hear and see her in many different settings, but... This one hit me. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, I want you to take note of this. At the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial full of very costly perfume. And now you all know the story in this. Then it goes on that it says, but the disciples were indignant when they saw this. And why this waste, this perfume, has been sold for a high price, given to the poor? Two things here I want you to see. Simon the leper, in the home of Simon the leper, who Jesus is coming to. Obviously, this guy named Simon, who was a leper, who God, Jesus obviously had healed, and he comes to his house. There, this woman, who we know is Mary, because go to the next slide, watch this. It says, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, the home of Simon the leper, he came up very... Go on to the next slide. One minute. I'm sorry, go back. <laughs> I want you to pick up this, that, that first slide. Go to the next one. I'm sorry, Amy. I got you going everywhere. You. There, here. I want you to watch this, and you know this. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Now, you know what he, she did. She took this very costly, you know, uh, alabaster vial and pours it over Jesus to anoint him for his death. But go on to the next one, and the book of Luke tells us something more. Let's go on to the next slide. Is this Luke? Yeah. Uh, one back, Go back one. I hope I did it. Okay. There was a woman in the city, this is Bethany, who was a sinner. That's Mary. It's a sinner. Get this, when she had learned he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, Simon was not only a leper, but at one time he was a what? Pharisee. So he's a Pharisee, becomes a leper, Jesus heals him, and he goes back to Phariseeing. Because watch this. I mean, guess this thing. When she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, she's weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears, Keep, kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing with perfume. Now watch this in the next slide. 
And when the Pharisee who had invited, invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him, that she is a sinner. When Jesus said to him, him, the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. I used to think he was speaking to Simon Peter, but he was not speaking to Simon Peter. He's speaking to Simon the leper who was a Pharisee. Now, two things in this that Jesus is doing, and you know the story, what he does. He's asking the question, you know, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Go to the next slide, please. A moneylender had two debtors, and it goes on to say, you know, which of them will love them more? Y'all know the story. And the thing that hit me in this, y'all, first off, here's this woman, Mary, who was a sinner. Who the world is just an outcast. But Jesus comes and stamps over her that she's a woman to be remembered forever. It's not ugly to Jesus. Beautiful. She's not a cast out to Jesus. And then there's this dude, Simon. Now, y'all, a leper. Y'all know the stories about lepers. They were outcast. Pharisee, leper, outcast. Healed, but still yet, he's healed and part of his heart is not right. But, you know, here's the cool thing to me. Jesus didn't give up on him. I can't tell you how many times I've stood up here and preached that after I preached, I sat down and I felt like, you Pharisee. Me with my robe and whatever stuff. And I'm going, Jesus. Oh, God. How many times have I done this? What Simon done? And I don't think I'm the only one. The reality is that Jesus comes and he beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. He beautifies people. People from the, from the sinners that are on the streets and whatever to the religious sinners. And the cool thing is he doesn't give up. It's no accident this woman came there. And, you know, Jesus knew it. He says, I'm going to come to your house, Simon. I'm going to come to your house. And in his mind, he knows what the Father's doing. There's this woman's going to hear about it. He, she's going to come. You ever been in that place that when you invite people to dwelling place and you're kind of praying that it's going to be a calm service? Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> and it may be the Sunday that Jim Driscoll sees a big... Dr oh, I see a vine growing down the middle of the... Or, I mean, there's some Tulio standing on the chairs or Holy Ghost is busting out on somebody. Or Jesus is just about beautifying people. Watch out in those moments of embarrassment. Because those could be real the times to us. That's when Jesus is showing up the most. I love that passage in Hebrews chapter 2 where he says, I'm never ashamed. Amy, let's show this video. I'm going to show you a video about a, a friend of Shay and I's um, in Macedonia. His name is Farben. Beautiful story.
like to paint details that, that are part of our everyday life, but we never pay attention to the beauty that they have. There are things that we don't pay attention and there are people that we don't pay attention to and I was actually one of those people. I don't know who my biological father is, I don't know who my biological mother is, so they just throw me away as I was I was a garbage. It leaves it leaves scars. There were times when I was in big depression and thinking about suicide from the morning until I go to bed. In one way, I have every right to stay in this depression and to blame someone else and to say, well, this happened to me because of that one or this one. But there are two sides of the coin. So in one way, I was abandoned. In the other hand, I was chosen. I was found because I'm adopted. I have a family now that I've never dreamed that I will, I will have. So I have new chance now. With my painting, I'm trying kind of to see the beauty of the, of the detail or the beauty of something that it is nobody pay attention, nobody care about it, and then suddenly everything is important. And it is how, basically, how God see me. <laughs> I'm beautiful. Find more stories like this at moments.org. Some uh, testimony. Farben was a gypsy. He didn't know it. For years, he, uh, he struggled with this identity in him, just begging his dad to tell him. He says, you know, am I your son? For years, his dad told him, yeah, yeah, you're my son, you're my son, you're my son. For years, years, and about three years, and, and really struggled with drug addiction, and you know, and God brought him out of it, and, and but still there was this pain in his heart, just wouldn't go away, and he finally just sat down. Dad, one night he said, "I just got to know, am I your biological son?" And his dad finally says, "No, you're not. Your mother and I found you on the streets as a baby, and we adopted you. We chose you. That's what he was talking about." And, uh, and you can see the artwork that he does. And what he said was so beautiful and profound. He tries to take the simple things that people overlook and reflect the beauty of it. And that's God. He beautifies the afflicted ones. He beautifies the events. He beautifies the, the things in our lives. He beautifies us. Well, uh, just a couple of things that I just want to say about this that the Lord really put in my heart about beautif this beautification process that he goes through in our lives. And he's inviting us to participate with him. I, I love what Mike spoke in the first video that I showed you. But Mike said he'll drive down the road and he looks for the things that, uh, uh, that people are throwing away because he's thinking there's something beautiful there. I think God is doing that with us. He's inviting us to join with him wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, to look and find what the world would outcast. And God says, I want to make that beautiful. And so in this, there's some things. The first thing, y'all, 
the beautification process of God always involves mercy and grace. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. When we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with him. For by grace are you saved. And y'all, I, I just, y'all, lest we forget this, let's go on to the next slide, please. Y'all, it's not by our efforts that make something beautiful. It's his mercy, his grace. Mercy is that which God gives when we blow it. Grace is that which God gives in relationship to take us to a level we cannot attain on our own. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love. You know, you remember uh, what Jesus said to Simon? He who is forgiven much, what? Loves much. And I think it was hitting me, y'all, to participate with God in stuff, in this beautification process. It takes, it takes this mercy that where we walk in mercy, but what precedes mercy is love. If when you see somebody or something and there's not mercy in your heart, that's a signal that the love of God is being shut off in our hearts. Because, and it may be the very first place to go to is when we're short on mercy, is for us to recount and call back to the forgiveness that which we have received. That Second Peter chapter 1 talks about the one who has forgotten is the one who has forgotten his former purification from sins. And you know, there's, I think there's a place. Uh, don't like Jesus talks about forgetting what's behind, but there is a place of remembering where we came from so we can know where we're going. And uh, that, you know, it's all about his mercy and grace. It's not we begin in the spirit or now we're being perfected in the works of the flesh. And then the second part is, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. Well, y'all, the only way that this grace may be released into our lives to take something that's ugly and see the grace of God come into it and transform it is us walking by faith with him. And let me just say this, y'all. It's not a one-time process. Faith releases the grace of God into our lives. Where sin is, grace what? abounds all the more. So in that place, I know like I'm picking on Greg this morning, but there's men, or even for Greg's life, but any point in time a man stops living by faith to receive the grace of God to overcome the consequences of sin in his life, you know, those consequences can have an effect. They'll drag him back. But it is by faith that when we enter into these places that are ugly in our lives that you have to look at that ugliness and you go okay God you are going to cause something good to come out of this y'all like that time y'all remember back in 2008 I shared the testimony with y'all that when we had that really big contract and that real estate down in Florida that deal down in Florida and all of a sudden I get the phone call going this thing ain't happening and y'all, I had been planning on it happening. Can we say like getting into debt on counting in it happening? Right row, yes. And so I did some things counting on it to happen. All of a sudden a guy calls and says, well, the banks have shut down. That's when 2008, when the crisis hit, says no. We go from 
in one day, July 31st, and we're closing on August 1st. One day, and I'm mad at God at first. I'm going, God, just one day. <laughs> one day. Why did this crisis have to hit? And God causing what? All things to work together. I knew this last week we weren't going to lose power in Pembroke. I knew it. Because you know what? I've been making plans to put our house on a generator. And the generator dude's been delaying. And I knew. I said, all right, God. I know you wouldn't do that to me. That guy would have got this thing done. Me going out of town, you would have got this thing done if we were going to lose power. And I just said, we're going we're to have power. And I just figured that. That's the character of my dad in heaven. Exercising faith in who he is and what he is. So in that place is mercy and grace released into our lives. Now here's the things that God's told me about beautifying. It's literally what he said, keeping heaven's perspective. Let's go on to the next slide if you would. Y'all, let me tell you something. The first thing about knowing that God in this beautifying things is that, is that go back to Psalm 149.4. He does, he takes, what? Pleasure in his people. Y'all, I had a, Paul and I had a traumatic event this weekend. The grandkids didn't get to come up because of the snow. But good thing is they're going to come up next weekend. But anyway, I mean, I take pleasure in them. I take pleasure in Shay Michelle. There's pleasure there. There's pleasure to see things that they do beautify and see and established. Our Father in heaven loves us so much more than any of us love our kids or, or love our parents or spouses. And God says, I take pleasure in you. And, and, and no, to, to walk in this place, to see grace given... Uh, released, y'all, we have to deal with the thing that God's putting up with us. God does not want to have to do this. God does not care. God will abandon you. No, God takes pleasure in us. God is for us. Go to the next slide, Amy, where it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Go on to the next one. Not only that, but God is looking working to bring life into our situations. Y'all, let's say Romans let's say this, Romans 8, 28. Say, we know this, that God causes all things, let's read it together, one, two, three. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, you can take this to the bank. You can't. 2008, I look back from now and I'm going, Jesus, thank you for letting that deal go fall through. Thank you, Lord. You know what we were going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. A bit of business advice. We were going to take the proceeds from this real estate sale and put it in a 501, uh, not 501c3, a um, something 41 exchange. Anybody remember it? My mind's gone. No, not 541. Anyway, it's a, it's a like exchange where you take a, a, a piece of real estate, you sell it, you take it and put it in another piece of real estate at equal value. Well, 10, 10, 1031, 1040? Yeah, 
10, 30, something other. That's going to that's gonna freak me out until I get this number out of my head. But anyway, what happened was, you think about this. If we would have sold in, in 08, we took the proceeds and put them in inflated real estate prices of 08. It decreased. A lot of the properties that we put in decreased 20, 30, 40, 50%. Guess what God did? He saved our butts. And then you know what he did? He comes back three or four years later and sells the thing again. It only just to reduce value, about 10% of value. And then spreads it out on the way 20 years so I don't have to worry about the taxes. God, you're so cool. How do you, and you know the bigger thing than all of that, you know what? Love of money. Here. That's the bigger thing. God doing a work in my heart to change my heart. God doing a work in me to beautify me from the inside out. Because why? We can confident that God causes all things to work out for good. Notice this passage I love. For surely we'll we will surely die and all are like water spilled to the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life. I love this passage. But plans ways so that the banished ones will not be cast out from him. You know, I can just see God up in heaven constantly scheming. And I'm saying that in a in good sense of the word. Just going, okay, how can I? Redeem this. How can the devil you did this? You want to get to this. This is going to be redeemed, and this is going to be so much better. And you know, and so in that place, you know, we've got to come to the conclusion that we see and know that God delights in us, that God is for us, and God is working and looking to bring life out of the situations that that's ugly in our lives. But y'all, to be able to do that, we have to have an eternal perspective. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. For though we do not lose heart, y'all, because in this world it's very easy to what? Lose heart. Because when we start looking at the circumstances, they can cause us to get discouraged. For we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. Outer man is decaying. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Outer man is decaying. Inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction. Wait a minute, God. You know. Going through what y'all through? Light? You know, but I can't help but remember Romans chapter 8, verse 16, which I didn't put up here. Or, you know, I look and, you know, and, you know, just some of you in this room is so know what I'm trying to say here. But when it says, where Paul says, I consider, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I want to say this, y'all. Many of you in this room have faced, in, you know, just un, 
unfathomable pain and sorrow and sufferings in this world that look ugly. But I want to say this, that you've got a Heavenly Father that has promised you that, that He's in the process even now and even for eternity to redeem that which you have gone. And He's saying, it's not, when you get here, Looking back, you're going to, and you're going to see the suffering that the enemy has put on you, and you're going to look back, and you're going to see the redemption of God in your life for eternity, and for those, you know, and you're going to look back and you go, this is not worthy to be compared with that. I mean, this is not be worthy compared to that. It's, it's a promise. It is a promise. And that's called faith. While we look not at the things which are seen, Y'all, it looks bad in relationship to Brandon. What, 29? 29. I mean, the importance that he was in this body. And I know that for Josh and in the church up there. And, and, you know, but it looks bad from this place. We look not which things are seen, but the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are what? Eternal in the heavens. I had a friend that told me one time, he says, Rick, anytime you discuss sufferings, you always have to discuss frame sufferings within the context of eternity or you'll miss out. Like any picture, a picture has to have a good frame to bring all the colors out, the right colors out. Frame sufferings within the context of eternity with God and you will see the beauty and I, and I want to read a story to you. And I, I would, instead of telling, I hope I didn't read this one before. If I did, it's tough. It's a good one. It's one of my favorites. And the title of this thing is, It's Too Soon to Evaluate. And this is why you have to have a context of eternity. In 1921, a missionary couple named, named David and Svea, Svea, S-V-E-A, from Sweden, David and Siva Flood traveled with their two-year-old son from Sweden to Belgian Congo in the heart of Africa. They joined another young Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, and felt led of God to lead the main station and take the gospel to a remote area. This was a real step of faith. At the village of, another weird name, of Nadora, the chief would not let them enter the town for fear of alienating the local gods, so the couple went half a mile up the slope and built their own mud huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact with the villagers was a young boy who sold them chickens and eggs twice a week. Siva Flood, that was the wife, only four feet, eight inches tall, decided that this is their only African she could talk to. She would try to lead the boy to Jesus. She succeeded but there were no other encouragements. Malaria struck one member of the little band after another, and, and in time the Ericans decide, Ericsons decided to return to the mission station, that was the other couple, uh, leaving their friends to go alone. Then Siva became pregnant, and when the time came for to give her birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, but the delivery was exhausting for the wife who had already weak from the bouts of malaria and she lived only 17 days. Something snapped inside David Flood and he dug a crude grave and buried his 27-year-old wife and then took his children back down the mountain. 
handing his newborn daughter to Ina, the, the Ericsons, to the Ericsons, that's the wife of the Ericsons. He snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his call, his calling, but his God. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken ill and died within days of each other. The baby was turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually brought her back to the United States. And they decided to stay in their home country and switched from missionary work to pastoral work, and that is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended a Bible college where she met a young married man named Dewey Hurst. Years passed, and in time, Aggie became, Aggie's husband became the president of a Christian college and in, the, in the Seattle area where there was a strong Scandinavian heritage. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it and couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. And there in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Siva Flood. Aggie found a college faculty member who could, contra- who could translate the article and what it said. The instructor summarized the story of the missionaries who had come to Ladora, whatever the name of that village was, long ago. The birth of a white baby and the death of a young mother and a little African boy who, had led the, who was led to Christ, how he had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. Gradually he won all his students to Christ and the children led their parents to Christ, even the chief. Amazing today, today there were 600 Christians, believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Siva Flood. For the Hearst 25th anniversary, that's Aggie and her husband, their 25th wedding anniversary, the college sent them on a vacation to Sweden where Aggie sought out her real father. An old man now, David Flood, had remarried and fathered four more children. Generally dissipated his life, dissipated, is that right? D-I-S-S, his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke, still bitter. He had one rule in his family. Never mention the name of God, because God took everything from me. After an emotional reunion with her stepfamily, Aggie went to see her father, and she walked into the squalid apartment littered with liquor bottles and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tenderly, and he turned and began to cry. And he said, Ina, which was his original name, and he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa. She replied, hugging him gently, and God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped, and God forgot all tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face to the wall, but Aggie continued undaunted. Papa, you didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you led to the Lord won the whole village to Jesus. And the seed you planted just kept growing and growing. And today, 600 Africans are serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God. Papa, Jesus loves you. He never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes and his body relaxed. By the end of the afternoon, David Flood had come back to God and he had resented for so many decades. A few years later, in an evangelism conference in London, the hearse listened to a report from the nation of Zaire the former Belgian condo. 
The superintendent of the national church representing 110,000 baptized believers spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. And Aggie approached him afterwards and asked him if he'd ever heard of David and Seba Flood. Yes, ma'am, the man replied. It was Seba who led me to Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in long, sobbing hug, and then said, you must come to Africa and see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. And that's exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did, and they were welcomed by cheering throngs of the villagers. Pastors escorted Aggie to her mother's white cross, where she knelt and gave thanks. That's beauty out of ashes. That's seeing eternity that only God can do. And when the when these things happen, having this eternal perspective, God spoke this to my heart out of this Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. Go to the next slide. You would is it is it Amy, can you go to that next slide please? One more. Yeah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore before you, restore you. Before me, you will stand. If you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. Now, y'all, I don't know how it is, and excuse me about using the illustration a while ago, but every time there's a pile of crap, I think God promises there's got to be a diamond in the midst of it. And this is like God saying, join me, sort it out, extract the precious from the worthless. And in that place, you can become my spokesman. And the third thing that got the, the fourth, I mean, one, two, three, four. God said to me about this partnering with him was this passage. Now remember this, quote this with me. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Now remember what I've said is, we've got to know that God's a good God too, is, is we've got, we got to see things within the context of eternity. Three, we've got, we got to extract the precious from the worthless. And the fourth thing is, it says here, next slide please, in, in the beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation, what releases the salvation of God into our lives? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Confession and believing, they're all one time. But in verse 10, it says, it says, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The Greek word there for confession is the Greek word for continuous action. And what God is calling us to is to have mouths that confess that God, you will cause this to good. What happened is for the children of Israel when they started encountering problems in the wilderness, they started complaining and grumbling. But instead, hold fast to the confession. Let's go on to the next slide in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope because faithful is he, for, for he who promised 
is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Y'all, the basic passage of Scripture, we've been going on this today, is that God will cause all things to work together for our good. That is a promise. And we can keep confessing it, confessing it, confessing it, because he is faithful. Now, y'all, sometimes the fruit of it, of the, of the things that we have uh, encountered, may not be soon. But God promises us at some point in time, the beauty of that which we have faced will come and manifest. Hold fast the confession. And then the fifth thing that the Lord spoke to me is for us to give expression. You see, if we give expression to an impression, we become more impressionable. And the reality is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Now, you let me now think about this, y'all. What is the characteristic of our God? He, God, is what? Love. That is his nature. That is his character. Well, another character in nature is his. He is the God of all, not some, all comfort. Who does what? Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may comfort others with the same comfort which we have been comforted by God. Now, y'all, the call of God in our lives, and Amy, let's get ready that other last video, is to, is to express the beauty that God has, is, is doing or will do in our lives. I, I remember a time, a young girl uh, at Virginia Tech, this is when I was doing campus ministry work with the BCM here, Baptist Campus Ministry. I mean, this is way back, like 1987. That's a long time. That's older than you, Mitch. I mean, not older than you, but longer than I've known you. <laughs> <laughs> when were you born? 72. Oh, dude, you're old. <laughs> but anyway, I never forget. There was this there was this girl and she she uh she said to me, I think I told you this story, but but she was she was a senior at tech at the time and I when I was working with the BCM there and she had been dating this guy that she'd been dating him for two years and he had already graduated and the assumption was they were gonna get married. And, uh, and, you know, so anyway, Thanksgiving came along, and, and I knew that she was going to go to go. He's living in Richmond and go to Richmond and visit her. So she's going to go visit. And the, the question is, will they be engaged? So anyway, you know, we're all excited, kind of pumped up. And so all of a sudden she goes, Thanksgiving break, and we come back on Thanksgiving break that Sunday night, so we met. Everybody's hanging around the BCM. Y'all know where it is on the corner of Washington Street there. And so I walk in there, and everybody, a whole bunch of people hang around, and, and there she is sitting there. And uh, Beth, and uh, she's sitting there, and, and she says, Rick, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. And uh, I'm kind of excited, you know. And she says, well, can I talk to you in the office? And say, yeah. So I said, come on in. And so I'm going, she sits down in a chair, and I'm just coming up, all right, all right. And, and as soon as I turn around, you know, like, look at her, she just busts out crying, like, ah! You know, and I'm going, you know, I'm like, uh, this is not what I was expecting. And she proceeds to tell me that when she went to Richmond to see this fella, that all of a sudden she, he told her that he was seeing another girl, and 
and, and you cut it off. And Beth's just sitting there crying. And, and, and she was very hardcore about memorizing the Word of God. And, and she said, Rick, she said, this hurts so bad. But God has promised me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. And she just, she would say that in between the tears. <laughs> and every time I would see her, you know, she'd say, Rick, it hurts, but God has promised me. And I know this guy, if he comes back, it'll be good. If he don't, it's going to be good. God has promised me. But that was her confession. And I watched, you know, that happened at Thanksgiving. I watched as, you know, as Christmas break and, and, you know, if the chart, the emotions at the beginning were way high. But as the time went on, you know, she kept confessing that and God was healing her heart. And then finally she said to me, he says, Rick, uh, Rick, there's this guy named John that wants to, to ask me out the coffee. And I, I don't want to go. I just don't, I'm not in the mood for this stuff. Then I said, you know, I just kept my mouth shut this time. And uh, but I, because I was afraid to step into this one, and uh, but anyway, it was cool that it. To make a long story short, finally she did go with him and John, and and now John and Beth are now married, and their pastors down in Winston Salem. And I promise you, they came to visit us in Boone, North Carolina, one time, and they were so happy that it was sick. I mean, I remember hearing them talk and. They were sitting on our couch, and they were talking about riding on a bicycle for two, and doing, I mean, all kind of stuff, you know. And I was going, "Oh, Jesus!" <laughs> you know? But then, in the midst of it, I, you know, I, you know, I, I got my senses, and I'm going, "God, this is good," because she honored you. She got the best. You bought beauty out of the pain. And I want to close it with this, this, this video of something about allowing the beauty of the Lord to come out. You see that mixer right here? This first one. It says Kuna on it, and that's my Aunt Kuna. She sent that to me when I wanted to start the business. I don't care if that mixer breaks, it has to be around me because when I felt like I had to resort back, it gave me every reason to just move forward and continue on a path that God had for me. I came out of a dark road of prostitution. And when you really believe or you have believed that this is all you were good for, being able to find that gift and love doing it is so powerful. I wanted to not only make my business about oh, we just sell cakes, but use that to open the conversation because sweets and food let people's guards down so you could talk to people and communicate. We all go through things for a reason. The purpose of us going through those things is to make us stronger so that we can be a testimony to somebody else. Somebody else needs to hear that. Somebody else needs, needs to know that they're not alone. Now I'm other girls Aunt Kuna. And it's my responsibility to pay it forward so that their dreams come true too. So Neat Suites provides employment opportunities for young women because a lot of girls have records. This is just used as a stepping stone to get them where they need to go. Not every girl wants to bake, 
but every girl can come and get that motivation to know to know what they want to do and then we can plug them into the right people to get that support. If Neek Sweets never sells another cake, the fact that I was able to turn my life around is what it all means. Find more stories like this at Moments. One thing I want to say before I turn this over to Mitch. Yeah, that's a lady down in Charlotte who, like you heard, was in a, a life of prostitution. But God brought her out and started bringing beauty out. And now she's expressing that beauty to others. And like she said, I am now that Aunt Kuna, however that name was. Also, I want to say another thing about the small things. Looking for the beautiful in the small things. You notice all three of those videos? All three of those videos were produced uh, by a guy named Shay Sizemore. Do y'all remember that closet over there? There was, a, there was a closet over there, a bunch of crazy kids, uh, James Gray and Shay Sizemore, and they were making Amy French make these videos, you know, and you're going, and we're showing them here, and they're going, ain't that cute? But guess what? Now Shay's doing this for the Inspiration Network, and he's traveling the world. He'll be in Korea videoing stuff of the beauty of the Lord. God bringing beauty out of brokenness, God bringing beauty out, out of small and insignificant beginnings. That's what God's all about. Beautifying the afflicted ones with what? Salvation. You know, just as Rick was, as we're going to close out, um, I just continue just to hear this scripture, you know, that you know, David, had, I think it was David, you know, and all the craziness of what David went through, you know, he declared this, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. And that's really the, that's the position you have to look at the world from. You know, that's where, that's the position you have to look at these things from, you know. You know, as we, you know, experienced death or experienced, um, you know, hardship or or just pain, you know, you know just things. I mean, you, I mean, all of us have had a measure of that, you know. But the, if I keep this perspective that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and then... Behold the beauty of the Lord from that position, because if I, as soon as I get out of that position, you know, I, you st I, I can still always remember going back to a message that I spoke a long time ago. It really was a something that came out of an encounter. The Lord just really, but you know, if you uh, of this, we, I just called it snapshots. But if you took even somebody like a Joseph's life, or or even just this scenario with this story he read, if you took a snapshot of their life right there when all of a sudden that mom died. You know, if you took a snapshot of, you know, him being in alcoholism, if you took a snapshot, you would say, what? God is unfaithful. God, where are you? God? I mean, you could make those, all those things. You could say that, but you can't do that because you're looking at the wrong perspective, from the wrong perspective. If you look at it from God's perspective, of course, the end of the story is huge, you know. And so we think of we think of those things, you know, when we lost Nehemiah, you know, if, if you took a snapshot at that point, you're like, well, God, you know, 
where you know where are you at what are you doing you know any any of these situations with bud and you know, you can do that but god really wants us to take this place of that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life all the days of my life it's really you, you can't i can't take a day off from that perspective or else i will get hammered with those things but to really behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in Him, in His temple. And so I just felt like the Lord just wanted to do some things. Can we just stand up for a second? All right, Rick forgot something. He needs to, do they need to sit back down for a second? Okay, sit back down. <laughs> we'll stand up in just a second. On the back, did two, did, on the back side of your seat, does it look like this? Yeah, yeah, God. He wants what I want to ask you to do is this, let's take a journey together for the next week. Now, y'all, I won't be here to sit finish because I'm leaving uh, next Sunday. Well, I'll be here this service, but next Sunday I leave to go to Beirut for a week. Y'all, please pray, and I'll be in Beirut for a week ministering to uh, you know to these pastors there, but also to the Armenians, to the Syrians, and to the Jordanian, I mean the Lebanese, and uh, and then I'll go to Croatia and five cities. I'll be there dealing Jesus for the next two weeks. So I'll be there for three weeks. So please pray. And take care of Paula for me. Uh, but what God really put on my heart was for every day us to go through and look for the beautifying things, things, events, and people that the Lord brings across your path to participate with him. And also, the Lord just told me to also the passage of scripture, the confession for the week is Psalm 149.4, which we, we've already, the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he'll beautify the afflicted one for salvation. But what I want you to ask you to do is look for the pleasures of the Lord in your life. What we call kisses of loving kindness. When you, and just look for those kisses and write them down. Keep them. And when you get through the week, do this, Okay. Because you give expression to an impression, you become more impressionable. And you'll be surprised because it says in Psalm 33, it says, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and those who hope for, look for, long for his loving kindness. The eyes of the Lord. So in this place, if you enter into this, you'll just sense your heart just to become so in tune to the Lord and just participate in all his beautifying processes. Yeah, that's good. You know, I think, you know, Rick always reminded me, you know, I think, you know, when you look at a beautiful sunrise and you look at certain things, you don't give an expression to that, then you become, like I said, less impressionable. You start losing the sense of what is beautiful, you know, what God has made beautiful. And so, um, all right, so let's stand up. <laughs> I just want to pray for a second, and just then I'm just gonna, Lord, we just we uh, do believe, Lord, in this day and, and age when there is such a collision, God of of this world, um, with sickness, with death, with just things that we've just been talking about over the last three weeks, where culture seems overwhelming and seems to trying to be taking over, Lord, or. Or, or just mocking who you are and this, that, and the other God. Just, just Lord, just as things go on, sometimes, Lord, we can get in that place of uh, being overwhelmed. But, God, I just thank you that you brought that scripture today, God, that you overwhelmingly conquer all these things. 
God, that you're with us in those things, God. And that you, Lord God, come this morning. God, you're just coming this morning to beautify some things, God. And, and so I really just believe that, God, just you're, you're, you're desiring to beautify things in our lives. You're desiring to beautify events. And you're desiring to beautify people, God. You're going to come and take the charcoal fires of this life and redeem them. God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name. And I just felt like the Lord, I mean, just as our eyes are closed, if you just, that way you're not put on the spot, but if you just need something, an event, a thing, uh, or a person in your life, if you just need them to be, uh, a situation to be beautified this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. Just acknowledge it to God. Just you and God. You and the Lord. God, you see these hands right now, God. I just, I just, I felt like the Lord was just going to pour beauty out this morning. Like, just He just had a big old bucket of beauty, and He's just pouring it out on those situations right now, Father. You see these hands, God, in Jesus' name, God. I just pray right now that you would beautify, you would beautify these situations, you would beautify these things, you would beautify these people, God. That the power of your Holy Spirit would just come and beautify. Beautiful. Just pour out your beauty, God. Father, that Lord, that and I just pray that God, that for each of us, God, that we would be able to take this position, God. This is a Rick declared perspective, God. That uh, this position of just dwelling in your house all the days of our life to behold the beauty of the Lord, God, and that we wouldn't we wouldn't stop short, God. We wouldn't take snapshots and then just sit there. God, I, Lord, I know that you came even to redeem that that man uh, from losing his wife. God, you came back even at 73 and you redeemed it, God, for him. But God, he took a snapshot and he held on to it for many years. And God, I just pray right now that you begin to tear up those little snapshots. That, Lord, these situations, these circumstances, these uh, over people, God, whatever it might look like, you would just begin to those Polaroids that we've been just holding in our hands, God, that you would just uh, just take them away and just beautify, just replace it, God, with the beauty of the Lord. God, that they would hold on to the beauty of the Lord, that we would hold on to the beauty of the Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We receive it by faith, God, your beauty. Lord, sometimes when we can't even see it, God, we can't even see it done yet. But, God, looking, Lord, knowing that we'll look from an eternal perspective, we'll all be able to declare, God, you are, you were, and you always have been faithful. So, Lord, I just declare that this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I think I want to share real quick, because you can stand. But you remember, this is how God beautifies things. You remember when I was in uh, uh, Jordan one time, and I got sick over there by eating sushi on the plane? And, uh, and I got sick. So I ended up in Najib and Hala's house, comforted. And that was an ugly time for me. But God, in that time I was sick, birthed a relationship between me and Najib. But then it was interesting how the Lord snapshotted that forward to when all of a sudden Najib and Hala end up here in Blacksburg. And you remember that? In a, in a, in a lonely time in their life and then real tough time then here we got the Jacksons here who took care of them then also the Robertsons when uh, when they had to go and there's even holiday going out to Phoenix to start a church then guess what Joseph stays with y'all and now and that was a lonely time for Joseph but y'all were there to 
and bring beauty out of it. Y'all were there to bring beauty for the, for Najib and Hala in that tough time for them when they just first landed here. But now there's an Arab church in America ministering to the Arab Christians in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. That's God taking beauty and stamping it in many places in dark times. That's God. And I just had to speak that right now. So, anyway. Well, we're going to release you. We just encourage you. Um, uh, well, I just forgot what I was going to encourage you in. Uh, <laughs> I am going to encourage you. Oh, if you, need, if you felt like that there was a place that you just needed to agree that, uh, for that beauty in that situation, thing, person, situation, I just encourage you to come get some prayer. We'll encourage you, you know, learn. like I said, this Wednesday we're going to do the um, just kind of gathering. We'll kind of split up a men's and women's time. So really come out to that if you can, and then we'll start learning to live. Uh, we'll get out those um, by email. We'll get out those um, uh, all the classes this week so you can prepare for that for the next Wednesday. So, all right, y'all have a great week. Come grab some prayer if you need it, and have a good week. In Jesus' name. All right.